You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. All right, folks, welcome back to the latest Mountain West Fire football podcast where... We play what games we can get, and that's all we care about, right, Matt? <laughs> it's a very strange year. We're uh, we're we're plowing through it as best as we can, same as everybody else. We are mwire.com is the website. Uh, we're, this is our week thirteen recap show where we'll talk about what happened, what didn't happen, conspiracy theories. Our we won't dive, Matt. We won't dive into our deep DM threads we had on Twitter, but oh boy, it gets crazy in there sometimes. Trying to figure out a little bit, a little bit. <laughs> I, obviously, the simple meme is the uh, Charlie meme from Sunny, which is adequate for anything these days. Seems like when you're figuring stuff out. Mm-hmm. But we had games canceled, um, games rescheduled throughout the week. I, I missed on my San Diego State BYU thing because apparently throughout the week it came up to life that all they wanted was was Colorado and nobody else. That's essentially what it came down to. But we'll get to that too. Why, then? Why not? You want to power five? They already got BYU anyways next week. So what's the point? Why That's move true. it up? So, because it's like, why would you help out the Cougars when you're gonna play them anyways? So, yeah, because I'm pretty sure JD Whitker and other guys are like, yeah, we got them next week. We'll find somebody else who's available now. But so that we have that uh, crazy weekend, game, Thanksgiving week game started. But before we get to that, let's get to the big game that never happened. What time was it? Was the time of death of Boise San Jose State, Matt? Was it like uh, 10 a.m. Pacific, something like that, late morning? I want to say it was like three, four hours before kickoff. It was it was a two p.m. Mountain Time, one p.m. kickoff, and I think the news broke around nine or ten a.m. Yeah, With, uh, Tim Brando, who's on the call from Fox, is like, "Crap, I'm not doing this game in Boise." And uh, yeah, because what he had, what he had said originally was that it was being postponed, which made me think at first like they were still waiting on some kind of testing results. Like we've already seen something similar from other recent Mountain West athletic events. You know, the same thing happened to to Fresno State men's basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, with their game opener, that was think, supposed right? to be, uh, was it the opener? I, I forget if it was the opener or not. But Last they had a game at Pacific. They were waiting on it. They were waiting on results, and then the results came, and they ultimately canceled the game. So that his choice of words made me think that they were just going to be like a delay of kickoff. And we've seen that with uh, with uh, the occasional other game across the college football landscape, and then mm-hmm. you know it came across across very quickly from other sources that. It, the game was just going to be canceled, same yeah. as all the others. It was it, the reason it was delayed, not delayed, but the reason it came so close was because testing didn't come back quick enough. And so maybe yeah, they made a remark. Their initial remarks mentioned that they had been do- doing testing late into you know Friday night, Saturday morning. So yeah, and so that's part of the reason why they get played, which is unfortunate because undefeated teams, like you mentioned, like your preview, we talked, and this was like their biggest game in arguably for in program history, just about. Because they mm-hmm. had that Fresno State game back in 2012, what we talked about, which was a 
kind of knocked the Fresno State out of the BCS contention that year. But like this would have put them a win, would have basically put them in the driver's seat to uh, make the conference title game because they'd have mm-hmm. been, they'd be them in Nevada before Nevada played, no losses. Had they won, at the end result, they'd have been up and basically up two games essentially, almost. I think. Well, I can't think, but you could almost guarantee had they won and that game been played and Nevada lost as they did, and we'll get to that later, they would basically be in the championship game because they'd have to lose twice essentially to not be in there with like three games left. And one of those games was against Nevada. Yeah, there were there was high stakes on both sides. Yeah, because Boise had lost either. Same thing, like mm-hmm. uh, in conference play. They would, it, basically, what I put, like I think in the quick cancellation blurb I did, like the winner was almost assured to get to the title game spot no matter what. And now we'll get to your stuff later in the show, but <coughs> the tiebreaker scenario is a mess for some teams. I mean, at this point, you know, the, the Spartans and the Broncos are still one and two of the conference because of what happened later in the day with regards to you know, Nevada and Hawaii, which we'll talk about more later. So, you know, in their particular situations, it's still pretty straightforward. You you win and you're in. You know, you basically keep winning because you're still in the driver's seat. Yeah, we'll get to the other stuff later. Like it, it could ultimately come down to the old BCS computers. It could have a lot of things that go on. But there's a, I guess, we'll get to more of it later at the end of the show. But I guess the basic thing is, the current threshold is four games to be played. Right? Is that what we're sitting at? Yes. So for for those of you who haven't read the article or aren't inclined to read the article, essentially what the Mountain West did they they established these rules ahead of time where. There was a certain threshold that teams had to meet, which was going to be adjusted based off of however many games were canceled. So as of right now, eight different Mountain West Conference games have been canceled. And in a nutshell, that lowers the overall average to, you know, six, which means like on average, it's like 6.3 games Mm -hmm. that, you know, the average Mountain West team will have played. And so to be eligible for the championship teams need to have played at least two fewer or, or no more than two fewer. So essentially like if the, if the benchmark, if the average is six, which it is right now, four. then the benchmark is at least four games. And assuming there are no more cancellations, that, <clears throat> that means everybody that finishes the season will be eligible. Okay. So like, you know, because everybody but Air Force and Colorado State has played four games thus far, but of course the Falcons have you know, their regular season conference finale next weekend, Colorado State plays San Diego State next weekend. So everybody's going to get to four games. Well, you think and so? And it was, you know, a matter of the tiebreakers after that, you know, where, you know, then you start getting into, you know, potential three-team tiebreakers and two-team tiebreakers. So that's kind of the overall picture of where things stand. So everybody's eligible. San Jose and Boise are very clearly one and two right now. If the season finished right now, that would be your conference title game. Um, but that doesn't mean that there aren't still, there isn't still plenty left to play for, assuming that we can get all of the games off over the next couple weeks without a hitch. Crossing my fingers, yes. it's, it's likely there's going to continue to be cancellations, but as of right now, that's where things stand. Yeah, I'll, I'll get some rapid, since you were, I'll give you some rapid fire at the end about a couple teams I'm curious about. Mm-hmm. Um, but first off the top, you think games might not be played. Boise UNLV is up in the air. At the uh-huh. moment, and part and people freaking out about. Here's a funny thing. Back in, I don't remember when it was because Raj made half kidding. His thing's coming to fruition possibly. It's like what what would what would a team do to just pull a? Oh, we can't play because we want to preserve some record. 
or screw over some rival because uh, that this game isn't played that the threshold changes and oh you're not eligible like Wisconsin in the Big Ten game or potentially some out. Well, West what, what was what was started coming out yesterday was Ohio State Michigan. Yeah, that's part of the get to as well. Yeah, because um, what game was Ohio State Illinois? Right? Was that the one that got that got canceled? Uh, yes. So there's stuff like that. Well, maybe Michigan won't play Ohio State and Jim Harbaugh can't lose if he doesn't play coach, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he already might be on his way out anyways, but. Like and he was, I, I was just clearly kidding, but he thinks up some interesting scenarios, which are always fun to chat about. Just because, why not? You know what I mean? Because why are we doing football in a pandemic? Well, we know why, so we got to talk about something, and we're just kind of a, uh, we're not going through the motions, but we're very aware of what's going on off the field. If, if you don't know why, the answer is money. Exactly. There you go. It's always money. <laughs> but but continue. Yes. So <clears throat> the point being, like with this Boise San Jose State game, it came out that it was just nine players, and. Mm-hmm. That doesn't seem like a lot of players because it's not, right? However, the uh, the three position groups that... There could be another one. We looked around. We're not entirely sure. But this isn't the NFL where the Denver Broncos can have no quarterbacks. NFL says, screw you. You're playing with some practice squad. Undrafted free agent guy from Wake Forest. As of this recording, I noticed I had two interceptions. Maybe more at the moment. <laughs> and they couldn't bring a coach on. They couldn't push the game back till Tuesday because I don't know what the NFL is doing. But in the Mountain West... And Brian Harson also made some vague complaints about the rules aren't being fair or consistent. I'm like, you knew the rules at the beginning of the year, pal. Relax. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, you knew if a threshold percentage of testing was an issue, you can't play. If you're missing key player or not key players, but a number of players, a min- minimum, whether it be scholarship limit, I think 53 scholarship players, like an NFL yes. game day roster, essentially. Not walk-ons, but scholarship players. And then also it's quarterbacks. Offense, defense, lineman. There may be another spot, but I think that we, me and Matt, we both, you and me, look through this. We believe it's just those three. So odds are, it's it has to be not odds are it has to be one of those three position groups. And I don't think it's defensive line because they already had issues a couple weeks ago. And well, so, and Brian Harson had a press conference earlier today. We're recording on Sunday, November 29th. and he basically said, and, and this is according to BJ Rains, that it was the trenches that were basically the. The, the yeah. crux of the problem for them at this point where mm-hmm. you know it was not just the offensive line and or the defensive line it was both and it was not just injuries or covid protocols you know sickness or contact tracing it was all of those things and so it's not necessarily just about you know preserving pre- preserving health in the face of the pandemic in this instance you know, Boise State is dealing like they, they have they had already been dealing with a lot of injuries up front you know, we knew, you know, you know, a few weeks ago that Dimitri Washington, mm-hmm. for instance, was knocked out for the year. We knew that Keegan Freeborn got knocked out for the year. But, you know, Will Hall over at uh, KVTB put a uh, pretty succinct primer together about just kind of how those injuries have stacked up over the course of the year. And, you know, Scale Gahan's been banged up. Mm-hmm. Sam Whitney, they announced, was out for the year. He was Washington's replacement at the stud position. Jackson Cravens has been banged up all year. And so, you know, they were just running out of bodies for a number of reasons. And, you know, with that in mind, you know, it's, you know, people come out and they say, oh, they were scared to play. No, it's never that a team is scared to play, especially a team like Boise State. It's just, it's unfeasible to ask athletes, young athletes especially, like, like college players, to assume that kind of risk just in, in terms of, like, their physical health. No, it makes sense, too. It's 
Like, it's not just COVID being out because you met, like, what is it, three injuries you rattled off, four guys out for the year, multiple weeks, a mm-hmm. couple for the year. So it wasn't, and I, I'm pretty, I can't say 100% confidence, but this makes sense as well because the COVID, the COVID guidelines minimum for playing, it doesn't say your COVID or health, it doesn't necessarily have to be only for COVID. You have to mm-hmm. have X number of players available. If two of your guys or three of your guys are out for the year or out for the week, that goes against that, right? It has to. Yes, because you still—it's the safety thing too. <clears throat> I just feel like, like we're half kidding. I'm, I'm retweeting from the Denver Broncos today because we mentioned there just moments ago they put a Kendall Hinton off the practice squad. Wide receiver from Wake Forest played quarterback. He was thrust in the play. Like that's a crappy mm-hmm. situation. Kudos for him for even even being out there for no practice, no reps. But thinking of college of like defensive linemen and stuff. Like if you have to put in some true freshman who doesn't have the weight put on, hasn't practiced enough. Either either because it's you can't practice particularly efficient now because of what you're able to do to keep safe in a health wise in general, but also just practice normal to know the position. What if you're a scout team guy who replicates position X because you're a speedy guy, but your real position is something else, and you have to go back to your you know, like? There's a lot of things to go into it to say why they can, why it's not safe to play this. And yeah. injuries plus COVID add up, and then. Like, Harsing gets a bad rap sometimes. Like, well, it's, it's everybody's against me. It's like, well, it's not the case. But he's like, right here, he's like, you can have 60 players, but if you don't have the right ones at the right positions, it's not going to matter. Like, he said, uh-huh. like, Kikola Kahuna is not going to play defensive end for us. He's yeah. Like, he's a defensive back. <laughs> They're not going to do that. They're not going to put a running back at uh, center or something. You know what I mean? Maybe a fullback. You can't just like slide an offensive lineman to defensive lineman if they haven't been doing it all season long. Yeah, it's a, it's a safety thing. You'll get embarrassed. You'll get hurt. You'll get injured. Like maybe a fullback can play a guard position. Maybe. Just, but who has a fullback anymore? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so it's like he's, like, he's like even worse. Like there's no guarantee they'll be any better this week. Boise paused all football-related activities. Hope of returning to practice Tuesday. Uh, but Friday's game at UNLV would appear to be in doubt at this point. And, he's, and Harson goes on to say, I'm very concerned. At this point, after canceling the game, I'm very concerned. Had we played the game, got more optimistic. Well, duh, because you'd have enough players to play. He's like, when, mm-hmm. things, when things happen to you, I'm very concerned about how we operate moving forward and what that means for UNLV. And he's like, we're not out of the woods. There's still a lot of other factors coming in with these next two sets of tests we're doing through the week. Sounds like they're not playing UNLV Friday. Or at best, maybe they move it to Sunday. Like give them a couple extra days. Like maybe that's. I mean, I don't. I mean, the Mountain West hasn't really been inclined to move games. They haven't done it True. with any of the other eight cancellations they've done. I think they're just going to cancel it if it comes to that. But I Could think be. just whether they cancel it or not, I think in, at this juncture, considering what we know about how Boise State has kind of played through this over the last few weeks, Brian Harson made the right decision. Yeah. You know, the people in charge of making that decision at Boise State made the right decision for their program and for their athletes. And they're forthcoming because because teams always hide behind HIPAA rules and laws like, well, I don't need to tell why. Like in the NFL, I know NFL college is different, but or even college, like NFL has the COVID list. Like mm-hmm. going back to Denver Broncos because it's most relevant, or also the Baltimore Ravens who are idiots who are at their facility today despite not supposed to be there at the moment. Good job, guys. You're screwed Steelers again because they keep getting every game when they're doing things right. But... They mentioned offensive, defensive line. It's a combination of injuries, it says here, within the nine players, as we talked about, and not enough time to practice. Like, So say they knew players were out Monday. Maybe they could have had enough practice time to get, get guys up to speed. They could have played. I don't know if that's for sure <clears> or not, but they could hide and like and say, oh, no, we're fine. We could play. Or, no, we can't play because we have enough. Like, There's the rules within healthcare. It's like, but back to the NFL, it's, I'm skipping it. 
There's the COVID list where Broncos, like all the quarterbacks had to go to COVID list, Brett Rippin, Drew Locke, uh, I think Blake Bortles, I think there's one other guy, mm-hmm. because it was Drew Locke who didn't have his mask on, and those guys were around him. And I ble- was it Drew Locke who test positive, I believe? I don't recall. I thought it was Jeff Driscoll. Maybe it's Jeff Driscoll. Oh, that's the other QB. But they were around him, close contact, where, okay, you can't play because you're nearby. They they don't tell you. We know that. We know that almost for sure. They're not tested positive. But you, like mm-hmm. Matthew Stafford's done the list multiple times because he's near somebody who's had it. But guys can come on and come off in a day or two. Typically, oh, if it's that guy, we know they didn't have the virus, unlike Cam Newton who missed a couple weeks. NFL, it's the list is for both. It's like either you have it or you're near somebody. And so that's a distinction. They don't tell you, but if they come back in three days, okay, you kind of figure out they didn't have it. They are just nearby somebody who had it for 10 minutes or, you know what I mean, close contact deal. Mm-hmm. But here, it's like he made the right call. It's like he's not scared of anybody. He of any of any of the coaches who wants to play, like this probably goes for any coach. Nobody, no coach doesn't want to play. Like this was a big game on regular Fox. A lot more people watched it. Take notice of their team. And Boise State's been winning. Like yeah, they got crushed by BYU, but this is a big game. Like everybody, you can be upset and still say they made the right choice. Those well, both things can happen. Let's remember too. This is the same program that what sixteen months ago now looked at a hurricane coming to Florida and said, okay, we can't play this neutral site game. Let, we'll, we'll play it in your place. Yeah. And they made it happen and they won that game. So let's try and keep a little perspective here. Yeah. But yeah, it, it can suck because we all wanted to watch the game. They all wanted to play the game. Like, it it's it sucks. It happened. And I feel bad, like, for San Jose State just because there's – we'll get – well, I guess we'll move in that right now. But, like, they had to go to Humboldt State during preseason – they can't practice, or I guess what the thing in Santa Clara County is until December 21st minimum. You cannot have any like collegiate, high school, or pro sports. It infects the 49ers, Stanford, and San Jose State about any contact sports. So I'm assuming at the very minimum, that's basketball and football, obviously. I'm not sure what other yeah, sports. And, and of course, like the San Jose Sharks and things like oh, that. Oh, yeah, hockey too. Yeah, hockey. NHL is coming up pretty soon. But like they can't practice. So like San Jose State, their next two games are home. Hawaii, mm-hmm. so I don't know where they're going to play that game unless they – can they play at Fresno State? Because that's not in Santa Clara County. Could they play there? Because that's not too far. But that's not. So, I, so with that in mind, I mean, I've seen different suggestions, and I think you know one option, of course, is to just move the game to Honolulu, if that's feasible. That's because you know, kind of like they did with uh, what was it? This the first game was it Nevada, and New Mexico that they moved to to Los? Or I forget which. Yeah, one yeah, it was. they went to San Boyd instead it was, of. Oh yeah, no, it was New Mexico and San Jose State. They moved the game from Albuquerque to San Jose. Yes, that's correct. Yes, but that's a different going Albuquerque to Honolulu. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, but, but that's a you know one thing they could do is rather than having the game in San Jose, they could have it in Hawaii. That's one option. But you mentioned Fresno State, and I put it out there on Twitter just because I don't. I mean, I don't know the logistics or how feasible it can be on such short notice. But Fresno State is scheduled to have both of its next two games on the road. What San Jose State, right? Next week? No, they that game got canceled. They're supposed to wait, go the, wait, to, the, the game on the fifth got canceled already? Yeah, they're supposed to go to Nevada. Oh, I must have looked at it. Oh, I must have looked at it incorrectly. Oh yeah, and never mind. They, Apologies. I was looking at something else. Go ahead. And then they'll head to Vegas for the finale against New Mexico. So you know, if you're looking for like the next closest place, that's you know, outside of Santa Clara County and is reasonable. Like, you, know, you might go to... I mean, you might go to Berkeley, but Sac- I don't think that's going to happen. I don't know what Cal's football schedule looks like. Sacramento State, maybe? That's not too far, Poss- is it? 
No, I think Sacramento is probably actually a little bit closer, but okay. you know, in terms of like familiarity and be able to to work something out on the fly, mm-hmm. Fresno might actually be the best option. I mean, I don't know if it you know how feasible it might be to like share practice fields or you know have you know different staggered practice times or something like that. But... Well, the fifth Fresno is on the road, so that's a possibility. They're at yeah. Reno, and then they're also yeah, you're right, the New Mexico as well. So maybe they can play both games there. Um, I don't know. I don't have the Mexico schedule in front of. Me. Well, I get, no, I guess if it's the last weekend, they can't play at Sam Boyd. Mm-hmm. So maybe they do go to. How far is Fresno from San Jose? It's a not super close, but not far. It's like two and a half hours. Okay, so that's better than Humboldt State, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and how far is Reno? For, could they go to Reno and possibly practice and play? That seems a bit farther. It's about five hours. I Reno, think. Reno's a little bit farther. So they've driven that across I eighty from Salt Lake to San Jose before in the Bay Area, and that's Reno's just over halfway. For me, and that's mm-hmm. about a twelve-hour drive. So, what what is Spartans going to do? Like, what can they do? I guess leave the county to practice is probably their main goal because you can't practice where you're at at the moment. Yeah, I have no idea. And it does. It's unfortunate because like this team's good this year. It's like they beat everybody. I know they beat who they beaten. Like Air Force is okay to Mexico. They beat San Diego State. That's fine. Like I'd love to see them play Fresno and Boise State. Like, could they have lost both those games? Yeah, but they also could have won both of those games too. Mm-hmm. And it's just, uh, I don't know. We'll keep an eye on it. We'll do the best updates because basketball, like, I know it's not a hoops podcast, but we're, I'm emailing all the writers. Like, okay, Fresno State's pausing for two weeks. New Mexico, Boise State, their basketball game, which is interrelated because I know it's not, I know not, many, not as many students are on campus at the moment and fewer come next week's Christmas break and all that. But, like, the Boise, New Mexico basketball series might be pushed back a couple of days. Lobos hoops are in Texas right now practicing because you can't do it in New Mexico. It's mm-hmm. I don't know what's going to happen. It's just uh, we're doing our best to keep everybody updated. But if we miss a cancellation or something, you can blame us. But it's like, can you really blame us when stuff's coming fast and furious? When it's a random Mountain West basketball game? Like I didn't know. I barely knew about the Fresno basketball thing. Almost not going off a couple days ago. Just I remember hearing about it. I was like, oh, it's uh, it's going to be a thing. Like look at the Mohegan Sun. Like or Utah Utah State. Like their game versus Wichita State got. Canceled. VCU came out on the fly and they played like the next mm-hmm. day. So we'll see how it goes. But uh, is there anything else, or should we get to games now? I think we can get to games now. All right, Utah State is victorious. Finally, they got the win against Mexico. I should might might we had forty one twenty seven Lobos. This I Andrew Peasley got to start. This game was dicey for about two plus quarters for for the Aggies because it was 13, 13 to um, three at the half. They were kicking field goals. They weren't doing anything great. And then the defense stepped up, made some, made some huge plays, get the scores. There's also the unfortunate touchback by Peasley, which could have made the game even more of a blowout. What do you think about that rule, first of all? The stupid touchback, the ball goes to the end zone. Well, I mean... It's a weird rule. It's hard. I, it's hard. I watched a few... I mean, I know that people were talking about camera angles and things like that, and I think that there's definitely an argument in that favor. Where's the pilot camera? That could have perfectly, man. Right down the hall. Oh, that would have been awesome. Based on what I saw, though, it looked like a fumble. It looked like the ball was kind of leaving his hands before it got to the pile. What about did he step out first? Did he step out of bounds first? Because there's I that don't. There's that left. I, know, it's hard to there, I remember there's that left. I, I I didn't watch the game live. I was out doing stuff like family things. So I watched it the next day. I saw the play. I'm like, all right, what happened? And they're like, okay, there's like there's three things: touchdown, fumble, or maybe his left foot was out of bounds. Mm-hmm. When you call it a touchback. Did they call it a touchback initially? Was that what the call was? No, they had called it a touchdown initially, I believe. How do you overturn? That's my thing. 
but that call is dumb. I just hate that call because you should give him the ball like at the two yard line, right? Because mm. you I lost the ball. You I lost. Mean, I'm, I'm just glad I don't have to make that decision. I know, but you lost the ball. It's like any, a fumble anywhere else in the field by your own team. You get the ball right there. I mean, I know that a lot of people say it's one of the dumbest rules in sports, and I'm, I'm not inclined to disagree with that. Yeah, it's whatever. But what about the game itself? What do you think about Andrew Peasley? I thought he looked pretty good. You know, I did like I said in the preview podcast. I didn't necessarily want to write him off just because we've never seen him before. And I thought what they did with him was fairly interesting. You know, throughout the game, I noticed that they they put him in on the move quite a bit. You know, and that you know not necessarily just kind of having him line up under center or line up in the shotgun and, you know, take shots down the field or, or anything like that. You know, they rolled him out more often than I think than I expected. And, you know, if, if I'm not mistaken, that has the effect of kind of having the field and making a quarterback less responsible for like having to see the entire thing. You know, you may have mm-hmm. like one or two routes that you're, you know, in mind, and, you know, if you don't see it, then you can run. And I think that that ended up working out pretty well for him, where even though both of those teams had kind of a sluggish first half, I kind yeah. of marked that up to both of those teams really kind of feeling each other out. You know, both teams, I think, had more success on the ground than through the air in the first half. But then Peasley really started putting it together in the third quarter. And that's when, you know, as a result, the Aggies offense really kind of took off. He was six of nine for 145 yards in that third quarter. That's and, the difference. You know, that, that's the difference. You know, they were down 13 to six at halftime and up by two touchdowns going into the fourth quarter. And you know, against a New Mexico offense that you know has again is still kind of flashed, mm-hmm. but is not has not necessarily put all the pieces together. And and to their you know to their credit, they're trying to do this with their backup quarterback. Yeah. And for Again. certain stretches of the game with their third string quarterback, you know, they brought in Connor Gennel for a little bit um, yeah. you know, later in the game. So it's not the greatest situation for New Mexico to be in. And so you can't necessarily fault them too much for not being able to keep up. But at the same time, Peasley came alive in that second half and you have to give them all the credit for that. And you have to give credit to the, to the wide receiver core, which, you know, we've been harping on it for weeks. Like somebody has got to step up and make a play. And then all of a sudden, you had two or three guys stepping up and making plays. Savon Scarver, Scarver, first touchdown. Finally came through. (laughs) Justin McGriff, who has really kind of, he's started to take on, I think, a bigger role over the last few weeks. He had, uh, what did he have, three catches for 76 yards? No, four for 99 and touchdown. Okay, I might be looking at the, through the first three quarters. Oh, first three quarters, the Uh, whole game, yeah. four Basically, 100 yards and a touchdown. They had deep passes, like... Jason Shelley, the way he played, is not much different from Andrew Peasley because I saw him in Utah. He'd run the ball. He'd move his feet. I don't know what the deal was because they weren't throwing downfield with, with um, Shelley, but they were this game. Like They were really working more of like the, the short to the intermediate yeah, in this game a in a bit. way where with Shelley under center, I didn't really see them do even that. It I know. Like that's a problem. Or focused on trying to run the football or work in like, you know, screens or in the flats and stuff like so that. So weird. So weird. Also, was there really quick? I I watched this game on mute forward. Why did was Jalen Warren out for some reason? It looks like I didn't see anything about that. He got. I'll look real quick. I meant to look before because I saw he had no carries, no attempts. But Dante Henry Cole had a pretty big game, fifty three yards. The one thing about New Mexico, like Bryson Carroll, he's is this like his second or third touchdown pass he's had this year? 
Well, he was a former quarterback. I know, but man, they gave him the little tossbacks in the rounds. Like, why is he not getting the ball more? They gave it to Bobby Cole more, double, almost more than double than Bryce Carroll, Bryson Carroll. But Carroll, he had the huge run. Like, this was a game where it was close until that third quarter when it blew open. He had the defensive touchdown by Maley there for Utah State. They had the three touchdown passes by Peasley. They weren't out of it by any means, but why, I just don't get why they didn't trust him or give him the ball more than what they did because he's clearly their best player. Like, through the touchdown pass, he had a 37-yard run. He even caught a pass on the backfield. Like, he is our, probably their best all-around offensive player, and he's only touched the ball like eight times. Like, that's an issue with them. I don't think there's an injury type thing because Bobby Cole had a lot of yards. Trey Hall ran a bunch. And again, because Tavaka Toyota, the concussion protocol still. But, like, get him the ball more. Like, he's your he's your guy. Like, get get the ball. It's like a basketball or any sport. Get your best player the ball all the time. They do a good job of getting it to him in unique ways. But he needs to actually be a running back a bit more than what he has been. And I mean, I think it really comes down to the fact that New Mexico is trying to sort their way through their running back committee. Where, you know, even though Carroll, I think, far and away had kind of the best uh, you know, afternoon, evening, or whatever. <laughs> you know, he got five carries. Davon Vigilant got six carries. Bobby Cole got twelve. Nathaniel Jones got six. And there were kind of varying degrees of success. And that's really kind of what you've seen all season long. Where, you know, Nate Jones had his big game a couple weeks ago. Yeah. And he's been you know fairly quiet ever since. Bobby Cole has had you know moments, but he was fairly quiet in this game. And so I don't. I don't know that there's an easy answer for, for Danny Gonzalez and offensive coordinator Derek Werheim. I think you just kind of have to let things play out and see what kind of situation the game really calls for. And Danny Gonzalez is not happy. No. He, is he being, like, honest question, is he being too hard on his team? Like, this is a game where two winless teams and they get blown out by a winless team. Like, their offense was not good. Overall, like you mentioned, brought the third string quarterback. They fumbled for a touchdown. They had their biggest play was that one by Bryce and Carroll, that 37 yarder. A couple decent passing plays, but like their offense couldn't move at all. The ball move the ball at all. Like, is he right to be this critical of the team when you're playing against a winless team, interim coach, new quarterback, their star running back doesn't play, and you lose by two by two touchdowns. I mean, I think I can I can sympathize with where he's coming from, especially when you kind of consider the scope of their season. You know, they had you know, back-to-back one-score games against Hawaii and Nevada like yeah. two two and three weeks ago. That's why there'd be and confidence, they were, right? They were right there. And so, you know, one, they're not at full strength, like I said. But, you know, there's a lot of other kind of more avoidable things that they do need to kind of clean up regardless of whoever's on the field. Like they had three fumbles and they lost one of them. You know, they had, you know, an interception. They gave up four sacks. Uh, and again, part of that is not to dis- necessarily take away too much credit from the from the Utah State defense. But, you know, eight penalties, 84 yards. You know, the, the kicking game was not necessarily all the way there. And so I can see where that frustration might kind of spill over a little bit into the comments that he's making. Because I think... You know, based on the progress that he had seen over the first couple of weeks, and even despite the difficult circumstances in which the Lobos are currently operating, you know, I think he expected them to kind of continue on one path, and it's kind of veered in a way that he doesn't necessarily like. And so, maybe some of it is unavoidable, but I think in a lot of respects, there are some things that they can clean up and and kind of improve upon in, over the next couple of weeks to kind of try and close the season out on a high note or two. 
I don't know. It's he his first, one of the first quotes. We're a terrible football team. Like I I get he's frustrated, but this year it's like going winless. This year it sucks. But I think it's here's the thing. He's not gonna get fired. Clearly, he's figuring things out. There are a couple decent things to see throughout the game, but I think part of it. I think his main concern or his main issue is that third quarter, giving up 21 points in about seven minute stretch, but then a defensive touchdown as well. So mm-hmm. his defense didn't help him at all, and that's part of his big thing because the first half, like we were half, like we we're like, hey, this will be an entertaining game preview. Partly because there'll be some miscues, there'll be some weird stuff because neither team is great. It was, it was fine. It wasn't terribly exciting in the first half. We got going in that third quarter because Utah State started scoring touchdowns, like the quick drives. There are two touchdowns, like there are three touchdown drives, which is why Gonzalez probably mad. Utah State five plays, four plays, three plays, touchdown. And then a fumble recovery. Yeah. They, they did. It wasn't long drives where Utah State had to really work for the touchdown to get the yardage for those plays. They were moving mm-hmm. the ball at will and quickly. And so that's probably his biggest frustration. The defense let him down. Because, not to say what... It's, it's like, think of last week too when they played Air Force. They had, they had chances. Like, the last week is the offense. This week's the defense. Air Force, they... What, they forced three straight fumbles and they couldn't score on it? Something like that against Air Force? They forced three more fumbles in this game too. And, yeah. and got two of them back. Yeah, it's like, but they only got three points out of it. That's the problem. Like they're, I don't want to blame it all on the offensive defense, but like the defense gave up points. Defense did force some turnovers. It's like they just need they're It's it's both obviously. Like the offense couldn't move the ball and they had chances this week or other weeks, but Utah State moved the ball well enough to get out to a big lead, and that was the end of the game. So yeah, what confidence level do you think Utah State is going for? Like, is this just because they played New Mexico, or have they maybe actually found something? I mean, I think that you can hold kind of a note of cautious optimism. And I think a lot of that comes down to the fact that, you know, a lot of the major contributors in this game, and if you want to think about the bigger picture for the Aggies, I put this out there on Twitter, but a lot of them were underclassmen. Mm-hmm. You know, AJ Vongpachan, who had nine tackles and a sack, he's a sophomore. So good. Uh, Andrew Peasley is a sophomore. Keenan Miley, who we didn't even mention, you know, he had a, a scoop and score touchdown. He's a freshman. Um, you know, so while they are, while they have lost some pieces to the transfer portal over the past week, lots of pieces. They will be, <laughs> yeah, and while they will be losing more pieces just to graduation, like you know, Shaq Bond is a senior, mm-hmm. I believe Nick Henninger is also a senior. It's not like they are going to be starting over, regardless of whichever direction they decide to go in this off season. You know, there's a lot of pieces here to like on all three phases of the ball. I think it's just you know a matter of trying to make the right hire and putting these guys who. You know, clear, it's pretty clear that they do have some talent if you can put them in the right position to succeed. All right, Matt, we need to update the transfer portal. Apparently, it was Jail. I looked up Jalen Warren. Like, where was he at? He's been playing pretty well. Left the team. Really? Yeah. Rumor. I mean, this is from the uh, HJ Herald Jur- Journal News, HJNews.com. It says rumors started swirling prior to Thursday's game that running back Warren was leaving the team. Warren, the team's leading rusher, blah blah blah, did not play. Rumors became as reality as the Herald Journal, Journal has learned. The former East Salt Lake City High School at so-called standout left the program. Rumors were confirmed by a source close to program Friday. All right, then. That, oh, man. I wonder with him. It's, it's also, it should be noted, unknown if he's currently currently in the transfer portal. But he's a guy, like, with the getting the year back, I could easily see him going to a new program next year and being a really good running back. Like, Heck, my Utes need a running back in the worst way. Jalen Warren, come join the Utes for one year in the Pac-12. Rush for 1,200 yards next year and be like a third-round draft pick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, that's, 
it sucks. All these players leave, and it's just, it's just a bad situation, Logan. Like, this is written up on the 27th. What was that? The, I guess Thursday, Thanksgiving night or whatever. But, like, he is a guy, like, people are hot him. He's really good. It's, it's a lot of frustration type of thing. It's a, he probably doesn't want to be around, like, a lot of these guys who are maybe upperclassmen are probably going to, they're obviously transfer portal, portal go somewhere else. But, He's good with him being a JUCO guy. Like he wants a shot in the NFL if he can. I think he might be good enough because we've seen what he can do. He's a big back. He can break holes when he has space to run. And if he mm. moves to a team like he's from Utah, I will guarantee right now he's he's going to go to most likely University of Utah. Like that would not shock me one bit to come be there this spring and be their lead back next year. And he, Aggie's like, well, we let him get away. Well, you didn't let him get away. Well, you did, but it's partly because your coach, your Booster hire of Gary Anderson, which I will still say was crappy, and people should agree with me more. But it's like playing. I, mean, I think it's yeah, it's tough. I think it's just going to mean that we're going to see more of their of their youth movement. Good, you know, Devontae Henry well. Cole's still around. He's a grad transfer, so he's going to be gone after this year too. Mm-hmm. But maybe it just means you see more Elalion uh, Noah, and I apologize if I mispronounced that. Uh, right. or, or John Gentry, you know, those are two guys that they think very highly of that are both freshmen, so they could mm-hmm. be around for a while. And again, those are just more pieces that we'll see kind of how they how they utilize them over the next couple of weeks. Well, and the sophomore Palate Makakuna, if that's properly said, probably not. But, like, you just has a modified spring, you know what I mean? Like, for both teams, yeah. Utah State and New Mexico. But we, the only difference with Utah State, it's the coaching thing. Like, go read the thing what Stephen Godfrey did at Banner Society, talked about all these coaching jobs. They're trying to make this last couple of years non-existent, like back to the future, like whoop, let's just swipe, or the community, the gas leak year where these, these years didn't really happen and move them to the side. Um, let's put, let's put it this way. I think a smart coach is going to look at what's, what's still left here mm-hmm. and see that it's a, it's, it's, it's still a solid foundation. Yeah. Decent. If, if, if they think they can do something with it. You got Peasley looks pretty good in his first start, multiple running backs that are underclassmen. Um, Probably some receivers, I think, a Scarver. He's a junior – or senior now, apologies. So receiving group might be an issue, just not an issue, but like the uh, – because they had so many guys transfer. We'll see who steps up or not. So if who's going to be like a receiver to come back next year after like a McGriff or something, he could be one of those guys. Defense, like AJ, like he is a tackle machine. Like he's really, really good. And so there are pieces there. It's just weird that Garrett couldn't figure it out. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. – the, yeah, okay, who cares? You beat Mexico. They're not very good. But <clears throat> this offense looked much more lively and different. And this wasn't a one-game turnaround where, oh, coach is gone, bring a new coach. When they played the week afterwards, Frank Maley, they didn't look very good either. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, I think their future's there. Like, Utah State, they're not like we. They're not very good this year. We know that. But I don't think they're going to revert back to when they had Brett Guy, when they're in the Big West, when no. they're being an independent or being in the freaking Sun Belt for a couple of years. This is a team that may not ever be the best in the Mountain West, but like the, what they've done the past decade with Matt Wells and Gary just in the first time around, they at the very least should be like a bull team every year. And any Aggie fan who's been around for t- over 20 plus years should realize that is a great feat from what they used to be. Not that they can't compete or win occasionally, but I think their baseline should be a bowl game every single year. I don't think that's out of the question to ask for. And if I you think t- it's reasonable. And if you I told, would agree. And if you told an Aggie fan in 2003 that was the case, like, yes, we'll take it. Because there were times they were literally going to uh, – they almost remember they almost beat Cam Newton with um, Chucky Keaton. There were times where mm-hmm. they were going – they're basically – look at the Mexico State are these small – 
little basketball or football teams that have to play five road non-conference bye games and don't play a home game till Halloween, essentially. They're not that mm-hmm. team anymore. They're not in the smaller conference. They moved up. They don't. Ha- they will still. They will still play those games, but they get Wake Forest home and home. They'll get these teams coming to town. Like they don't need to survive on three to five bye games on the road. They're not that. They're not a minor minor team anymore. They've upgraded from that. Most of Mountain West has. They, those games still happen, but like I said, like six wins every year should not be unreasonable. And whoever they get for the coach, like it would have been pretty cool if they got Rich Rodriguez last time. Like if they got him to come to town, like. I still think get David Yost to bring him back. That's what they need to do, something like that. And Yost can make receivers out of anybody because that's what Texas Tech and what he done before. They have the quarterback. They have the running game. Decent defensive players coming back. It could happen. All right. You ready for the I next guess, game? I guess we'll see. Next game. Wyoming. Matt, do you have a calendar? When's the last time Wyoming played a football game besides Friday, this weekend? That's a good question. It's like three weeks. It's a, a long time. They... Let's just say this. They're not just Xavier Valade's running team. Even We'll see what his injury status is, but they can run whoever they want back there and crush teams on the ground because that's what they do. They beat UNLV 45-14. Not even close. You you think Danny Gonzalez mad as, as, mad, as mad, Matt? Think how mad uh, Marcus Roy was after getting crushed 45-14. <laughs> Well, I mean, you, you mentioned Xavier Valade, and one person on, on Twitter pointed out that Logan Harris was back in the starting lineup. And, you know, I think other than Alonzo Velasquez, you know, you're really seeing possibly the best version of the Cowboys offensive line that we've seen all year. And they went out and they played like it. it did, like you said, it didn't really seem to matter who was in the backfield. You know, I put it out on, on Twitter among the, the the winners and losers column that I wrote that this was the kind of running performance that they really have never had while they've been in the Mountain West over the last 20 years. 399 yeah. yards rushing, 7 yards per attempt, and 6 touchdowns. Five players over 40-plus yards. Mm-hmm. And this was a great achievement. Levi Williams was 8 of 14, no touchdowns, 99 yards. He rushed for like four. He had three on the ground, which makes it for all that passing inefficiencies, but uh, not inefficiency, but just not needing to pass. But it also shows how bad UNLV's brush defense is, where they can't stop anybody. They bring in Trey Smith, who had 164. But this game was like 10-0-17. Like, one was out to the gates and just uh, took care of business in this game. Like, their first touchdown, two plays. That's the one big run by Xavier on Valaday. They get a field goal. Like, they were up 10-0, and then that was all they needed, 10-0, because end up being 17-0, and then they got the late touchdown end of the half. But... Even when you think it's seventeen to seven, it wasn't that close because UNLV made the right move. Like in that thir- second half, they get the ball, they get the touchback, they drive down the field, they go for it on fourth and three. Like had they converted that, and the the pass play to Charles Williams would have worked, but it was lost. The screenplay was a minus seven or something, so mm-hmm. not not clearly a great play. But it, it good in theory, a, a screen pass on fourth and three. That's that, that could be good, but I credit them going for it. But then it's kind of fell off. While we picked it up for a touchdown. Well, you know, it just it just snowballed from the fumble led to a touchdown for Wyoming, interception led for a touchdown. That was it. Like that was that stretch was tough to handle because had UNLV scored some points there, field goal or otherwise, like I don't know if they would have won, but it wouldn't have been embarrassed because they just uh, the def- the offense failed them miserably. Those three, not the three possessions, but the fumble and pick that led to fourteen points, and then they punt the ball, mm-hmm. and then it was just over from there. That stretch of third quarter basically said, "Peace out. We're the better team. We're gonna beat you." Yeah. 
So what was up? You can have you can have to feel for UNLV though. What's up with Justin Rogers? I thought he was the quarterback. What's what are they going on? What's what are they doing at QB there, Matt? Brumfield played. That is an excellent question. I didn't hear anything about whether his availability or anything like that. Somebody mentioned he was wearing an orange jersey, which I took that to mean like maybe he was sitting out the game or something like Emer- that. Emergency, maybe injury thing we're not aware of. Like he's there if needed. But Possibly. I, I don't know, but like he looked well last week. Like I put him in the QB rankings. Like heck, they may have found their quarterback, and then they go back to Max Gilliam, who, well, eleven and nineteen is whatever, but only sixty five yards. Like he got off to a real shaky start. Yeah, very game. shaky. Doug Brumfield and, had, and some of that, and some of that wasn't his fault because you know Wyoming was just as stingy on defense as they were dominant on offense. You know they Chad ended Mama. up sacking Gil, uh, Gilliam and Doug Brumfield, the the other guy who came in at quarterback uh, five times total. Three, <laughs> yeah, three. <laughs> My mama, the Hulk, as we put on Twitter, <laughs> or something. He went, he went off in this game. Yeah, it's who's do UNLV doesn't play New Mexico, do they? Can we make? No, can we make get, that? Uh, can they that, get Hawaii and Boise State in the next couple weeks? Maybe Boise State. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Like this team, Rebels. Like Charles Williams again. It goes to the same thing in New Mexico. Why are they not giving your guy the ball? Nine carries. That's it. Like he arguably could be considered the best running back in the conference for what we've seen the past couple years. Like that's not a stretch to say he's as good as Xavier Valade. As good as George Flani, as good as Ronnie Rivers, any of the running backs, I would put him in that same category. There's a ton of good backs, but they don't give him the ball. I don't get it. I mean, I thought that they did what, or rather, they tried to do what I thought they should when I wrote my preview. We talked about it on the on the preview podcast, where you know being aggressive on first down, especially as such a heavy underdog was you know going to turn this game one way or the other and that was something that I saw from them early on in this game like they wanted to try and move the chains and maybe set themselves up for you know shorter second and third down situations it's just that in this particular instance you, you know going back to your point earlier about being aggressive on fourth downs I see it that as being kind of another facet of a good process in my opinion and just not the results that they wanted to get from it so I don't necessarily have a problem with what they were trying to do. They just weren't able to execute. Yeah, that's a problem. It's like it's young guys. It's new guy. It, I don't know. It's it's just a hard year for a new coach. This is the point I'm making. Like, well, I, and and uh, Joe Arrigo put this out there on on Twitter as the game was kind of winding down. He's over there at twenty four seven Sports with Inside the Rebels, among other places. He mentioned that they were you know, coming into the season with a total roster loss of over 25%. You know, they had 62 players on scholarship. They had 15 opt-outs, which I was not aware of because I didn't recall seeing a list anywhere about that. You know, I knew that there were like individuals like Randall Grimes who had been you know, suspended from the team. And the fact that they've also had nine season-ending injuries. Jeez, so that's a lot. There's a lot going on that you have to really keep in context when you look at a performance like this. Which, again, is part of the reason why they brought in Brumfeld. And, you know, he, he flashed. Like, he was, you know, four of eight. And I think he had a couple of nice plays down the field. So maybe that's a, another part of that, you know, leash apart in the next couple of weeks if they get to play. Young guys. Just kind of running young, younger guys out there. I think, you know, other UNLV media members mentioned Brennan Scott, who I know we brought up at least in passing in past podcasts. Um, you know, he's their real highly touted freshman linebacker, you know, getting him more run, getting guys like Brumfield more run. Um, 
you know, I think that's just kind of the situation they find themselves in where it's not necessarily about wins and losses as much as just trying to figure out, okay, what do we want the future to look like in Las Vegas? Because, you know, they've got pieces there and as good as Charles Williams is, it may make more sense for them over the long run to try and, you know, bring Courtney Reese into the fold a little bit more. It looked like at least as far as what I could see, like, you know, he brings a slightly different skill set to the table. You know, he had three catches for 29 yards, even though he didn't really have that much success running the ball. But, you know, that's something that he can do perhaps a little bit better than what Williams has been able to do in his career. You know, keep giving run to guys like Kyle Williams, who had four catches for 71 yards. It's not an ideal situation, but I'm not going to say it's a bad situation because we all kind of knew coming into the year what it was going to be for the Rebels. It wasn't necessarily about competing or for, for a conference championship or anything like that. It was about just trying to identify the path forward. And I think that's really what you're kind of seeing week in and week out. And while the results may not be pretty, you know, you're still seeing some things that you can take away from it. Like, you know, one thing I kept thinking in this game was Jacoby Winman really needs some help. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, because I think that he's, you know, he's out there and he's making plays. You know, he had a half a tackle for a loss in this game or rather half a sack. Mm-hmm. And I think he's the first guy in, I forget if somebody mentioned it, like in like five years to have five sacks for the Rebels. That right there is something you can build on. But, you know, other guys up front, you know, may not necessarily be there for the long haul or may not necessarily fit into the team's plans for the long haul. But there are things there that Rebels fans kind of hang their hat on in the long run, even if it's getting, even if it's not going to be pretty over the next couple weeks. Well, Kyle Williams, freshman receiver, led the team in receiving again, like four yes. for seventy-one. They um, they have guys who are going to be around, like Tyler Collins. He is a junior; he'll be back. Like they have mm-hmm. plenty of receivers. They'll need to find a new running back for Charles Williams. It's just settling like freaking quarterback. Like I don't want to say quarterback is the only thing that matters because you mentioned all the defensive issues they have with um, only having Jacoby there, but, like, Brumfield's a freshman. It's like they need to settle on a quarterback because Justin Rogers has eligibility. Max Gilliams is not. It's like at this point, they should – Max, I don't want to say anything bad about these guys. They're playing basically for fun, for free, all that type of jazz for college athletics. But, like, at this point, when you're, like, 0-3, you play Brumfield or, or Rogers. that's it. Gilliams should not be seen in the field. You have nothing to gain for your team long-term – when you're a new coach, when this wasn't the guy you recruited, he's not like I'm not saying anything bad about him, but look at the situation. If you want your team to progress to be good, he had this year been typical year, like which have been awesome in many ways, but like a normal season where maybe be probably Rogers say he gets hurt or whatnot. But like, there's no point to go with Gilliam at all after what's going on right now. They have two games left, even midseason. We knew they wouldn't be very good. Why start the senior? at a key position where you can get these guys valuable reps to go forward for next year and beyond. Like, it makes no sense. It's like at the University of Utah, it was between Cam Rising and Jake Bentley. Cam Rising run the starting role. He's, uh, a, whatever, he came from University of Texas. I think he's a redshirt sophomore this year. He got the job. He's out for the year. got an injury, unfortunately. But when it's close, go with the young guy because, especially if you're not going anywhere, why start the senior quarterback? Why specifically quarterback? Other positions you can kind of mix and match a little bit, but like, what's the point? Like, what's the upside for Coach Arroyo to have Max Gilliam even have a great year, but you're still like you you you're three games under five hundred, or this year you're winless? Like, there's no, hmm. it doesn't help you long term. Every other position you do it, this one you're not. All right, next game, 
Alright, anything else to say about Wyoming? I mean, they won pretty big convincingly. Is this a team that's going to do anything next couple weeks? Or, or are they be able to still, be... They've still got a chance. We'll get that at the end. I mean, if, I, if I'm reading the tiebreaker situation correctly, they still have a chance. Alright, we'll get that in a minute. Let's wrap it up here. Is, the final, is this the final... Oh, we got two games. Jeez, oh boy. San Diego State, Colorado. Last second change, right, Matt? <laughs> I mean, we could we could say the less said about this game, the better. Yeah. Um, Darren Hall, kudos. Um, Darren Hall, very good. Pick six. Um, where did, does it, did San Diego State forget to tackle the running backs in this game? Did they remember how to tackle or wrap up? Because the first half, at least, Colorado running backs just did what they wanted against them on the ground. Like they took like four guy, four guys to tackle like Broussard had three, uh, yeah, Jarek Broussard, no touchdowns but 124 yards. Like he, they could not tackle him or anybody. The offense was a mess because, unfortunately, Lucas Johnson was out. Oh yeah, 20 to 10 victory for the Buffs, which was not as close as the final score indicated. Matt, right? This did not seem close for the for the ah, not Rams but the uh, Aztecs at all. Like you really have you really have to feel for the defense. Yeah, they played. Well, wait, what defense? San Diego State? San Diego State defense. Why? The rush defense was garbage. I mean, they really buckled down in the second half. They did. put the clamps on. And they gave the offense every chance. Oh, they did. To to come back and at least put themselves back in the game. And the offense just couldn't do anything with it. Like, I I put it out there also in the winners and losers column. Like, you have to go back to the Chuck Long years to find a game where the Aztecs were this bad on offense. And yeah, they were without their, what I would presume would be their starting quarterback going forward. They were also without their number one running back. Yeah, Greg Bell still got. But that can't be the that can't be the entire reason that your offense just completely folds. Their rushing game had seventy nine total yards, fifty by a brand new quarterback in Brooks, Jordan Brookshire. Come on, it's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean they they basically held Colorado to three yards of play in this game. Yeah. Like the, the yeah outside of the first the first half the op- rushing defense wasn't great. But like if you look at Broussard, he had 124 of 134 rushing yards, including sacks. They had mm-hmm. 10 TFLs, two sacks, a pick six, five quarterback hurries. Like they, you're right. Like I kind of half kidding. Like they they weren't great tackling first half, but they figured that out. And the qu- quarterback, uh, what's his name, Sam Noyer, only had 138 yards. Like had the offense been decent they would have won this game like this offense is dreadful like their leading rusher Ken or Keegan Williams six not including quarterback obviously six for 18 he had a long of 22 Matt yeah <laughs> how does that happen it's not not great like like the running back is deep like Jordan Bird only had four caps Chase Bell or Chase Bell five attempts like who, what are they doing here? Like, what is Brady Hoke doing running the ball? Like, what's going on? Or, excuse me, not running the ball. You're only down 10 points. You only lose by 10, and you run, and you can't run the ball? You have your quarterback run 13 times? Yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, they, they the run-pass ratio was just about even in this game. And neither they, was going they, well. They, and neither was good. They had... I mean, I think it's pretty clear. I mean, more than the running game, I think it's pretty clear that Carson Baker is not the answer at this point. You sure? <laughs> yes. Are you? They had a hundred. Yes, this this game was twenty to ten, close game. Do you see the total yardage here, Matt? Total yardage mm-hmm. one hundred. Looking at it, one hundred and fifty-five for San Diego State, which is awful. 
the defense, the Bucks only had 272. They weren't great either. Well, and like I said, on a oh. per play basis, that is where the, I think the most frustrating part of this game is because yes. on a per play basis, like I said, the Buffs had 3.3 yards per play. That is awesome for for four quarters of play. San Diego State had 2.6 yards per play. That is <sighs> not awesome. No, that's about as bad as you can be. And you know, for as much as we want to, like you know, I think criticize the offense for kind of running into a brick wall over and over again. You know, there are other things that really kind of betrayed them in this game too. You know, Matt Ariza, we talked about him as being kind of in that top tier of, of kickers coming into the year. And Oops. while he didn't necessarily have a lot of gimmies in this game, Still... you know, th- there's no doubt that the game would have changed. You know, he had a 50 yarder block. He missed a 44 yarder and he made a 48 yarder. Mm-hmm. And I don't think there's any doubt that the game might've changed a little bit you know, had he been able to make those field goals, you know, because eventually Colorado turned that, uh, I think it was the second one or the first, excuse me, the first missed field goal, the block into three points that essentially put the game out of reach for them. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you kind of look back and and take a look at what he's done this year and he hasn't been quite as good as he was as a freshman. And, you know, like I said, not a lot of gimmies there, but he's only 7 of 11 on the year. And that's one of those things where when the offense is really scuffling, you need your special teams to try and step up. And in this game, you know, the offense didn't necessarily put him in a great position to succeed or rather an ideal position to succeed. But you have to hope that he can be more consistent. And in this game, he just wasn't. San Diego State's defense allowed six possessions, or excuse me, six possessions for CU that went to a punt in five plays or less and eight of six plays or less, and they still lost this game. Yeah, they basically gave up two lengthy drives in this game. Yeah, the 13-play touchdown drive and the 10-play field goal. I guess the nine-play one, too, so that ended up a field goal after the missed one. It's like, you want you want this good team? Like, let me ask you this. Would Lucas Johnson made a difference had he been what we saw in the first half versus Nevada? Would that have been enough to win if that guy was out there? I think so. Yeah, <laughs> a very quick response. I mean, Colorado seems like it's a pretty good team, but I don't think they're that good. Like, like I don't. Th- what are they? The fourth or the fifth best team in the Pac-12 right now? They're three and zero, but um, I'm trying to see who they beat. They've had a couple games. Their Arizona State game, which would have been nice to play. They beaten UCLA and Stanford. That's it. And Stanford's probably the worst. Those are possibly That's this. the two. Stanford had a had a I know. <laughs> slap fight with Cal in the big game for being the worst team in the, in the conference right now. So, and they I mean, beat Stanford by three points. That's all. <laughs> you know, they they put up a much better fight than both the Bruins and the Cardinal did. Let's put it that way. And so I think with a with a healthy, dynamic quarterback, San Diego State could have absolutely won this game. So is this the right move for Aztecs to play Buffaloes over Air Force? Because this was a team decision. The league had nothing to do with this game getting set up. I don't see why not. Okay. I guess you get a Pac-12 team, but uh, next time, Brady Hogue, have your offense show up. Man, whew. All right. Although I'm wondering, that, you know, considering the tiebreakers, because the way that things mm. shake out, I almost wonder if they're going to regret it in the long run not playing Air Force and having another conference game under their belt. But would they have beaten Air Force? Maybe. See, you're not too confident. It's not a hundred percent sure thing. It was maybe. I mean, I think that I think they would have been very evenly matched. Let's put it that okay. way. Can we get to the next game that had the worst coaching performance of the weekend? Uh, okay. 
You, you sound hesitant. You're you're being very harsh right now. I am. But I think I know where you're going. Hawaii twenty four, Nevada twenty one. Who had a worse coach a weekend than Jay Norvell and their uh, offensive coordinator? Tell me who who had it worse. Danny Gonzalez might disagree. Okay, that's uh, in the conversation. Let's let's put it this way. Let's put it this way. <laughs> I don't think Jay Norvell. I don't think that offensive coaching staff did a bad job. No, I think. I think Victor Santa Cruz won the chess match, though. Oh, I 100% agree. He outplayed them. and They are basically, that's at Hawaii DC, they basically said, who cares if Toa Tawa or Devontae Lee or anybody gets rushing yards? We don't care. We will not allow Romeo Dobbs to have any, any pass plays in this game. You know what? Yeah, I believe it was... One target, was the, the one pa- catch. Pack center. Come on. I believe it was the pack center on Twitter who pointed out that they were continually dropping eight people yeah. in coverage and essentially daring Nevada to just say, okay... I dare you to beat us over the top. And for the better part of the game, Nevada was like, okay, we will work our way down the field in a way that we don't, we aren't necessarily accustomed to. But you, when you look at the drive they were able to put together, they still could have won. They, they, they outgained Hawaii on a per play basis. Mm-hmm. They didn't make any glaring mistakes. You know, they didn't <laughs> lose the turnover. Wait, 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 wait. Like that. Pass interference, personal fouls. Those no, are... I'm, I'm talking as far as like, turnovers, <laughs> things like okay, that. Okay, all right, just making sure. We'll, we'll get to that. In a, we'll get to that in a moment. That's an entirely situ- different situation, you know, because Carson Strong was still twenty to twenty five, hundred sixty eight yards, two touchdowns. So he efficient with the situation that was presented to him. He essentially played mistake free football. Cole Turner, and as got you mentioned, the ball where it was open underneath, and and the running game had by far its best game of the year. Because Totawa and Devontae Lee combined 208 yards, over 5.5 yards per carry. They were 3-for-3 three three in the red zone. You know, they had, mm-hmm. on defense, they had more sacks, more TFLs than the Warriors did. They were, you know, roughly even on third downs. Like, in Nevada, was 5-of-10. And then they were also 2-for-2 two two on fourth downs as well. And, you know, Hawaii was 9-for-14 themselves on third. So... You know, it's not like Nevada played a bad game. Hawaii just outthought them. They just outmaneuvered them. Okay, let me ask you this. How? Okay, I get it. You don't want to make mistakes downfield because you saw them having two safeties deep. They're playing a bunch of zone. Last I checked, is it um, is Romeo Dubs a pretty fast player? Yes. Why are they not giving him like speed passes or slants right across the middle plus him running out outrun people? Like they only threw him the ball one time. He had one target and one catch. If you're a good coach, I think that's a credit to Cortez Davis because, I, but not even trying on Davis for a. I think it's a credit to Cortez. It Davis is because they had him lined up. That's their number one cornerback. You know what? You have the best receiver in the country. You only throw him the ball once. You're afraid of some really like I don't care. You can have the best. You can have Deion Sanders back there guard him. Anybody. If he's your number one guy, you throw him the ball more than one time a game. You have to try. They didn't even try to get him the ball. That's the problem. Like, yes, he's a great defender and stopped him down. That's the. Credit to him, but you have to try to get your guy the ball, and they didn't try, and that's a problem. Force him the ball. If he doesn't catch it, he doesn't catch it, but they, nothing else. Like, it was a close game. Get Try to get him the ball. That's a big issue I have. I don't care. If your guy's that good, if you think you're better than him, which they both probably think they're better than each other, get him the ball in any way possible. It's like not trying to get him the ball is a big failure for this offense, in my opinion. See, I don't know that I necessarily agree but I think that that's mostly because I would contend they could have gotten a little more from the guys they were getting the ball to. 
And that is primarily Cole Turner and, and, and Melquan Stovall, who had nine and 13 targets respectively, but they only had, you know, 10 catches for 70 or excuse me, 69 yards. That's not necessarily what I think you wanted out of an offense that, you know, even if they weren't getting the ball down the field, Daubs, you know, I think both of those guys were built for a little more catch and run than they ultimately got from them. Yeah, there's a, there's more they could have done. Like with by, like if Cole Turner was that open all the time, why is he not getting 15 catches in? You know what I mean? Like he caught sick tight end cuts. That's what they're leaving open over the middle. So get anybody with the ball. That's why I mentioned like I get it, but you're telling me you can't do a like look what teams do. Like if um, Dubs is that fast of a guy, get a jet sweep on him. Give him a quick screen pass immediately. Get him the ball with like two two blockers in front of him, like to have him outrun guys because he's that fast. Have him in motion and get him a quick pass. So he's already running at full speed. Like there are other things they could have done. Like they were in this game to win. Like that's just a big criticism. Like if you have, if you think you have that good of a guy, don't be afraid of whoever's guarding them, even if they're that good. But the I don't know. It's like watching what this team did. Like you're right. They're fa- they outplayed. Like they got what they gave. It was to them. But Hawaii's defense clearly made smarter plays. Like or on defense why not run the ball more like if you're getting that if you're that successful why even pass the ball right like should they like, i mean let's let's put it this way i mean we talked about this coming into the game hawaii's got a good secondary they do and they proved and that i that... think it's to their credit you know like you know, i mentioned that they only had one sack from from darius muasal but that was an almost entirely a coverage sack i remember that one yeah and i think because you know strong had a lot of time to throw and he just couldn't find anybody down the field i think he was looking down the field for someone like Dobbs, and he just couldn't get it to him. And so, you know, it's a credit to the guys back there, you know, not just Cortez Davis. I think they really tried to challenge Michael Washington a lot. Mm-hmm. And if I remember correctly, they did score both of their touchdowns through the air against Washington, um, you know, because they threw a fade to, to Turner, and he was able to come down with it. That was kind of a mismatch. And then Torrey yeah. Horton, who had the other touchdown, basically mossed it out of Washington's hands. Mm-hmm. But, you know, coming... Coming into this game, you know, Corey Bethley had two tackles for loss and, and 10 tackles. Cameron Lockridge had a really good game. Kai Kanashiro got banged up late in the game, but he had a really good game too. So, I mean, it was definitely a team effort in in keeping the ball out of not only out of Nevada's best players' hands, but in kind of limiting the damage elsewhere because it's not like Nevada didn't get chunk plays in this game but they didn't get them in the way that we're accustomed to seeing them. You know, they got five plays through the air of over 15 yards, but their longest play through the air was only 26 yards. And that was that touchdown yeah. to Horton. I don't like that. I, I just thought there's other ways they could have like, once they see what's going on, do get to like, they did throw a couple times to Toa Tala back there. You had three catches. They threw it to Lee once. Like if they're dropping those guys back off, like not necessarily do a screen, but do like swing passes or something with all the defenders already five yards off the ball. Like there were, other ways, like they took advantage of what was there, but I felt they could have done more to to force Nevada or excuse me, force Hawaii. Not that they're going to drop eight, but maybe they have to. They can't drop as many because oh, we had to be take advantage or watch over the running back coming out of the backfield. Like they, could, I felt there could have been more things they could have done to make Hawaii change their game. And what was done again, credit to Hawaii's second defensive coaches that Nevada, Hawaii forced Nevada to do what they wanted to on defense or on offense, like. They made okay, Hawaii. You're we're gonna make Hawaii's good drop eight. Okay, run fine. We don't care. It's you can run for 250 yards. I don't care. We're not gonna get beat on the deep passes. They were a lot. They they forced what to happen, and Nevada didn't force anything back to push them around or force Hawaii to change their structure. 
It was all mm-hmm. Hawaii. Hawaii. Hawaii's like, all right, we're doing this. You change to us. Okay, fine, you change to us. But Nevada didn't do anything to counter that change to force Hawaii to make changes again on their end. And that's where the out-coaching came through. And that's why I felt the Nevada coaching staff and offense didn't do their job. I mean, you know what I would say was the bigger issue in this game? Pass interference. <laughs> they didn't have an answer for Chevon Cordero. Yeah, he played pretty well. One of his better games because of the year. I would, I would, I would argue that it may not have been his most statistically impressive game of the year, but it was definitely his best overall game of the year. You know, he was twenty six, thirty two, two hundred forty six yards, one touchdown through the air, had another sixty two yards on the ground, uh, and, and another score. He was in command of this game all game long. Yeah. Like he, he really didn't, you know, we mentioned how, you know, Carson Strong didn't really make any obviously wrong decisions. Neither did Cordero. It was just that he ended up getting more out of it in the long run. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Like, yeah, he had no interceptions. He had a touchdown pass. He ran for 60, over 60 yards. So he, again, like I, I mentioned previously, like he can't run and pass that much, but apparently he can when he basically had 47 plays where it was him either passing or throwing the ball. Because it wasn't like it wasn't like Hawaii was getting those kinds of chunk plays that Nevada wasn't either. No. You know they, you know Nevada was same. way more successful with their own ground game outside of outside of Cordero and his own effectiveness. But you know in that first half he was what fifteen of sixteen going into Something the second like half. This quite impressive. Like they basically they basically could not get off the field. And I mentioned very briefly in passing earlier the fact that. Hawaii basically they won this game in huge parts of their performance on third downs and it wasn't like Nevada was putting them in a lot of favorable positions they were just making plays you know they were nine of 14 but you know they were two for four on third and long which is nine or more yards where the Wolfpack was over three you know they were roughly even on short you know third and short but Nevada was just making more plays when the chips were down on those on those kind of Play, on those plays where you have to move the chains one way or the other. And that is a credit to Cordero, I think, more than anybody, because on third downs in particular, he was 9 of 10, 7 first downs through the air. That's a massive difference between him and Strong in this game. That is. Also, let's get to the final drive of the game. So Nevada score, was it, they scored a touchdown to make it 24-21. They kick off um, to a uh, – I'm going to say, can we just call him newcomer of the year already? Is that fair to say? Kyle I Turner. think he's probably in the driver's seat, yeah. Not only did he have 10 catches and a touchdown, he rushed the ball twice for 28 with long of 30. He said run that one big rushing play. He had the the lone kickoff that was not a touchback, 47 yards to get to basically midfield. Mm-hmm. So Hawaii's up three. Nevada kicks the ball off. Okay. Three-point game. Perfect. We'll, we'll, we're fine. There's no big explosive plays. That was the was that the longest play of the game, I believe, from longest yardage game, I believe, for any, anybody. I think so. I think so, That 47-yard yeah. return. So he gets to midfield. Then, oh boy, time to talk about some bad stuff for Nevada here. So they go down the field. They move the ball. They're passing. Fourth and six, they get the first down. That's a, a huge issue as well, right? They get the uh, nine yards. And there's a... The pass interference in the end zone on third and seven. That ninety-nine yard drive. No, that's no, that was a different one. No, that was a different drive, Matt. This was the. Well, just, I mean, 
I mean, I know what you're talking about, but that's another thing that was not yeah. necessarily an isolated incident in this yeah, game. Nevada has yeah. huge penalties, personal and fouls, extremely bad times. Yeah, the, and the 99-yard drive that ended up being a touchdown. There's that, but this one in the game where okay, it's third and seven. You know they're passing. They go for the end zone because they're at the 14. Pi, then they do three kneel downs. Like there is, yeah. like they get the ball back there. You're down three. You have Brandon Talton to kick the ball. You don't need to go the full field. You can just go up. And then also, you mentioned on Twitter too, like. We get the drive before they ran so much, but how much blame do you put on there for them eating clock by running the ball so much, but still resulting in touchdown the drive before? Should they have been trying to pass a bit more to get out of bounds a little bit, try to move it quicker and farther down the field? I might not have had a problem with it if they'd had more than two timeouts. Okay. I think they were playing a really dicey game and, and betting that their defense could get them the ball back one more time. I think they were betting that they weren't going to give up that, that kickoff return. Yeah, no kidding. No, nobody does. <laughs> but, I mean, I mean, you mentioned the P.I. that basically ended the game, but you know, it, it was one of those things that really afflicted them on both sides of the ball. Like on their – I think it was the first drive. You know, they're fourth and one at midfield, and I think it was Toatawa, you know, very easily gets the first down. Personal foul. Personal foul. They end up punting it away. And then, like I said, that 99-yard drive, you know, it was they had him third and two. It was going to be a success. They were going to get them to punt the ball. They were going to get the ball back. And Brudella Robbins got popped for a face mask. And then later on, they turned a, a big Hawaii chunk play into 15 more yards based on another personal foul. And that is one of maybe the, the quieter things that Nevada has been able to get away with more often than not this year. They're the most penalized team in the conference right now. Yeah, it's not a new thing. It just comes down to when, when it's a close game and you lose. And so I think that's one of those things where they're they're not out of the race yet, but they've really got to clean that up and, and avoid shooting themselves in the foot too often in order to have a chance to kind of play their way back into the championship game. All right, so let's move on. Let's go to a perfect segue. We wrap up here. We're actually longer than I thought with only three, four, a couple of games to talk about. Huh. So, so how does the tiebreaker work now? Because... We don't need to go read the article first because it's it took a lot of time to for you to go through and double check this triple check to make sure it was good to go. So basically, tiebreakers are typical. What you think about? There's no divisions in the Mountain West, obviously, for this particular season. So it's top two teams. So not everybody's playing each other because there's fewer games. So here's how the standings work right now. Just I'll give the the top four teams: Boise, San Jose State, undefeated. Clearly, the easiest path for them if they both went out during the title game, correct? Mm-hmm. Nevada has one loss. Fresno State has one loss. Nevada wins out during the title game because they play San Jose State at the tiebreaker. Yes. If Fres- can Fresno State win out and be in the title game? They can, but they do need a little bit of help because they have and Nevada prim- and New Ma- Mexico. Just for right, yes. just for reference. Primarily, they need to catch a break from San Jose State because they need a situation where they are the only team with one loss mm-hmm. and. You know, in a situation where they win out and San Jose State loses its last two games, it doesn't really matter what happens with Boise in that case, because you know the Bulldogs would essentially be they they lock up that number two spot because they'd have head to head over San they, Nevada. The, yeah, they'd have the head to head. Well, and Nevada would have two losses by that. That point. too. Yeah, so I mean, I meant the tiebreaker for San Jose State if they beat Nevada, they'd have the yeah, better. So record no matter what team. happens, when, no matter what happens with the Broncos, as long as if they win out and San Jose State loses out, Fresno State's in. Okay, simple enough. Um, does San Diego State with two losses have a chance? The and somebody can correct me on this. Somebody might dive a little further into the tiebreakers and and correct me on the record. 
But the way that I interpreted them, the answer, my answer is no. And it really comes down to the fact that the tiebreakers are going to fall against them because of the teams that they lost against San Jose State and Nevada. Because in, in one, and I laid out a couple scenarios that, that more or less explain the entire thing. But essentially, what it comes down to in a lot of these more far flung cases is you start getting into these three team tiebreakers where all you, all they are meant to do is to whittle it down to two teams. And in pretty much every case, the primary tiebreaker, which is like a round robin, uh, won't apply to anybody. And so then it comes down to winning percentage against the next best teams in the standings. And so that's when you start looking at teams that are grouped up at either like, you know, 500 or a little bit under that. And essentially the way that it operates, regardless of whoever ends up in that on top you know there's one scenario where i think nevada is the number one team there's another scenario where san jose state's the other the number one team or boise state or something like that mm-hmm. you know but essentially no matter what situation that the aztecs end up in where they are four and two along with other teams eventually the tiebreaker will fall against them where they will get to that two team tiebreaker but then when it comes down to you know winning percentage or record against teams further down in the standings because they lost to San Jose State, because they lost to Nevada, they basically have no path forward. So you're saying the Air Force game, how they played Air Force in one, would that have helped them out quite a bit with winning percentage? I think so, yeah. Because they have only one conference game left for Colorado State. Well, and the, and the only thing I wasn't totally sure about, and this is where my interpretation might be wrong, is that the Mountain West laid out scenarios where, you know, and... and you, you can read this for yourself. I linked the, the and you can find it on the Mountain West's official website. But imagine a scenario where one team is undefeated and two teams have one loss, right? They brought that up in there, but it's a tricky situation. But but it's a situation where, you know, they're envisioning one team going like 7-0, and mm-hmm. another team going 5-1, and and a third team going 4-1, and having beaten the 5-1 and team. In that scenario, obviously the seven and zero team is in, but regardless of the fact that the other team has more victories in conference play, winning percentage, the four and one team has the head to head advantage, and that takes precedence over everything else. Even winning percentage, yes. Okay, then that answers the question. Right? And so, uh, and yeah, and so you know, in a lot of these respects, when they're when you go head to head with San Diego State and Boise State, for example. You know, those two teams didn't play each other. That's when you start going down to these other scenarios where, you know, because they lost to San Jose and Nevada in particular, it just doesn't work out for them. One last question here before we go: Any other two-loss team have a shot like Wyoming? Yes. Oh, if I read it correctly, Wyoming <laughs> still has a chance. Of course, it's pretty obvious. They and this assumes no cancellations, which again, oh boy. big if, <laughs> very big capital um, F. <laughs> But I think technically they still have a shot. And so they have to win both of their last two games. Mm-hmm. You know, at New Mexico. Or, or, I think Whatever. it's at New Mexico. Home versus Boise. Yeah, correct. So San Jose State loses both of their last two games. Okay. Boise State loses both of their last two games, including the finale against the Cowboys. Fresno State loses their last two games. Nevada wins both of their last two games. So Nevada's in with one loss. Yeah, so Nevada's number one. They're 7-1 and one overall. San Diego State loses to Colorado State. So in that situation, you're looking at Nevada is clearly number one at 7-1. and one. Boise, 
San Jose State and Wyoming are all four and two. Mm-hmm. Hawaii's five and three. Ooh. But because of but because of win percentage, <laughs> four and two point oh six six seven is better than five and three, which is point six two five. Oh boy. <laughs> so okay, so pause this for a moment if you need to kind of wrap your head around it. But essentially, again, there's there's no three team round robin, but because Boise State and Wyoming both beat Hawaii. Hawaii's out. Hawaii's out, and in and in this situation, San Jose San Jose State would have lost to Hawaii next week. Anyway, okay. so because then you go back to two team tiebreakers, right? And Wyoming and because has over Boise Wyoming State. would have beaten because they have the head to head over Boise State. They'd be in the championship game. Excellent, I love it. I mean, I mean, it, and again, all of this assumes no cancellations. Yeah, like, if if San Jose State cancels their game, if Boise State cancels their game against UNLV, it basically eliminates Wyoming. But if every game over the next two weeks goes on as scheduled, um, then yeah, they they still have a shot if they can get some help and do their part. One last question. Okay. The threshold. This is just overall game. So right now, how many? Do you know how many more games? If you don't know the answer, you'd say no. Are there, how many more games need to be canceled to lower the threshold to be eligible? Are there enough games left to even trigger that to go down to five well, to three? Well, everybody's eligible now. Yeah. So it doesn't really matter if there are more cancellations because you know a team like Air Force or Colorado State, for example, you know they're one and two right now, but they've only got one more conference game to go. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, so they're they're only going to get to two and two anyway. Like okay. They're not going to crack five hundred. Okay. Uh, or rather, excuse me, Colorado State has two games to go. But even if they get to three and two, they're they're still going to be behind you know a number of teams who would finish ahead of them at four at four and two or, or seven and one or something like that. So, okay. um, it doesn't really matter if there's no more cancellations or, or if there are more cancellations because it's not going to affect who's eligible if everybody okay. plays out from this point. Everybody is eligible. It just depends on who wins and who loses. Okay. Go read and the then pe- with regards with Go regards ahead. to home field advantage, oh, you know, we talked about it. <laughs> Go ahead. Well, we talked about it earlier. I figure it's worth mentioning because we talked about San Jose State and their ongoing situation with Santa Clara County. You know, one thing to keep in mind, they basically laid out the conference did that if one team can't host, the other team hosts. So in the event that San Jose State gets that number one spot and they can't host, whoever they end up playing, whether it's Nevada, whether it's Boise State, whether it's Fresno State, they'll they'll be playing the championship game at that stadium instead. Is there one last thing here? And again, I think the answer is no. We don't know because Raj brings up every scenario. I think it's Raj in our DMs. Is there a contingency to move the title game if say two teams are playing, one team can't play the either team can't play due to COVID issues, would they bring in team number three or would they push the game I, to another couple of days? Cause it's the Mountain West is not getting the team in the playoff or the, the New Year's six. That's not happening. Mm-hmm. Would they move the game to after the college football playoff announcement just to make sure title game. Or if you saw on ESPN, they laid out a million scenarios for each conference, or I guess the conferences said, here's how we're deciding to champion if the game can't be played. But those are obviously more important to get that New Year's six uh, automatic bid. They didn't really say, or the game just not be said, played. All it says about the, all it says is about the inability to host, okay, and about eligibility. It doesn't really say if they, like if they're in a situation where, you know, one team is still struggling with COVID issues and they can't, they don't have the personnel to do it. I don't think they have laid that out just yet. Okay, just wondering because we're trying to think of every scenario here, right? <laughs> yeah, 
Maybe that's a question we'll ask the league because I could email, get a comment from them and see what they say about that because you would think they would want to get this game in. Like, let's just hope. Let's just hope it doesn't go to the computers. That's all I'm really hoping. Hey, we have we've had that before, right? Yes, we have. All right, so that's it for this show. For minimal games, we go a good eighty minutes. You're welcome, everybody. So hope you're, you're thinking. Hope your Thanksgiving was great. It was awesome. Um, yeah, so we'll be back uh, next week to talk about whatever games are available. Because I'm not going to guarantee anything anymore, which we should have said all year long. We're not guaranteeing anything. <laughs> but we'll be back next time to talk about the next set of games, whether we have them or not. We'll be here to uh, chat about it. And just fingers crossed, stay safe. And, um, yeah, we'll see what football gets played. We'll see you next time.